everyone, welcome back to the Connected Coach Podcast. I'm Spencer Dennis, and on today's episode, we feature a full conversation in a kind of a rare way with another Spencer. There's there's not many of us out there, so this was a fun opportunity to talk to Spencer Arnold. Spencer is the head coach and founder of Power and Grace Performance, as well as the strength and conditioning director at Hebron Christian Academy. So during this conversation, uh, we talk a lot about the business of coaching as we typically do. It's a well-rounded conversation all the way from hiring your first staff member to landing a job at a private school, if that's something you're interested in, especially in the, uh, the fitness side of things, the, the weight training, the strength and conditioning side of things. We also talk about how he's grown his business uh, during the pandemic, where a lot of others have fallen off his really, really successful remote coaching program. So if you are a coach looking to open up your world and introduce remote coaching, especially on a subscription basis, you absolutely want to listen to this. And in general, we talk a heck of a lot more about marketing, his use of Coach Now, and just uh, a lot of really important nuggets, I think, when it comes to building your business. So with that, I hope that you enjoy this conversation. You may want to be taking some notes, and we'll see you on the other side. Yeah. Yeah. So a, a normal day for me, like it starts at you know three or four in the morning. I get up, and spend time with myself. Try to, I do. I get up at three. I'm I'm one of those weird guys that loves the early yeah. morning. Go straight to the gym. I work out. Come home. Eat breakfast. Spend time reading. Kind of time to myself. I have two two kids and a third on the way. It's like the only quiet life in my time. Yeah. In my world. So what time are you going to bed? Oh yeah, uh, my wife and I are generally in bed at eight thirty every night, no matter That's what. How you do it. That's how you do um, it. Nothing in our lives needs to happen at eleven o'clock, and so, right. and stuff in my life does need to happen at three, so we go to bed early. Yeah. Um, and so in bed early, but then generally at the school by six. I'm at the high school. I have groups that come in, so we run, um, you know, strength conditioning classes that run through our gym or through our school every almost every forty five minutes. Starting, mm-hmm. We have a group that comes in before school and then every 45 minutes all the way to the end. Um, so, you know, they're running, running strength and conditioning classes for our sports um, until like 3.15 or so. Then I jet out of there, run straight to the gym, with the other gym with my yep. Olympic weightlifting athletes. Um, and then I coach them from about 3.30 or so until, depending on the day, could be 6 or 6.30. Okay. Um, and then I get out of the gym, run home, eat dinner with the family, bedtime, baths, stories, all that stuff. Um, and then, you know, in bed at 8.30, rinse and repeat for five days a week. Saturdays, we get to slow down a little bit. Sundays, I don't do anything. So That's a big day, man. It's a That's very a big, day. big day. Most days, it's manageable. Some yeah. days, I'm, I like, oof, I need to, I need, I look at my assistants at the school. I'm like, hey, I need to take this class and breathe for a minute. Yeah. So, it just depends. Well, yeah. that, that kind of leads me down the path that I, I, I tend to go on when I hear about a day like that, because that doesn't seem like a day that I personally can do. Right. Uh, and I admire your ability to do it. But a lot of that has to do with, obviously, your, your regiment, your routine, your fitness. You know, you're doing everything you can to make sure that that works for you. Right. And I'm, I'm curious, you know, as a jumping off point from hearing that, how has your business evolved to get you to the point that you are today? Um, what kind of lessons have you learned and what are you thinking about for the near term future? Is, is there a path forward where <laughs> though that big of a day is not the standard, right? Yeah. But you can still deliver, uh, the services that you want and still have the business that you want. Yeah. So our business, I've always loved high school strength. So that's kind of been the jam for me forever. Um, the weightlifting business was never in the plan. Like it was never something mm. that I intended to do nor something that I thought 10 years ago I'd be doing now. Mm. Um, I was an Olympic weightlifter, competed in Olympic weightlifting, um, and then got some really good athletes that wanted to trust me with their training. Right. And so I started coaching them. And then we had a pretty good system set up. It was just me coaching and I had, you know, six or seven or eight athletes that I was coaching. My day did not look anything like what I just described. Yeah. Um, and then COVID hit. And, um, Hmm. we were set up just by product of having athletes that were training all over the country at that point. You know, I had one in California, one in Florida, one in, you know, and so I was doing remote coaching already. Yeah. Um, COVID hit and all of those athletes couldn't train in their gyms with their coaches anymore and had to go to different locations. 
and then had to go back to their home gym. Right. And then all of a sudden you started seeing these like mass exoduses from cities and going to different places. Um, and so we were just set up to receive a lot of athletes who needed coaching and programming in Olympic weightlifting. Yeah. Um, and so COVID hit, we did a couple of continuing education courses because everybody was doing it right then, right? Like mm-hmm. you were sitting at home, so let's do some webinars. Mm-hmm. Um, that kind of helped create a, a scenario where people saw us for the first time and then, and then it just took off. And so I've now, now I have nine, uh, well, I have seven coaches okay. on my staff plus nine total employees. So two operations people, wow. um, we've gone from seven or eight athletes to now we have about 130 or so, um, that all are paying for remote, remote programming. And wow. so, it, so, so much of what you just heard really is a byproduct of like, we just ha- had this massive influx. Yep. We're trying to create structures. Like, you know, we've heard the phrase building the plane while it's flying. Yeah. Um, we're like very much creating foundational things mm-hmm. that we didn't have in place before. And so, so much of that day is like creating a foundation where, like you said, in two or three years, like that foundation will then be cyclical and supportive. You'll sort of have this like flywheel effect where we're doing yep. these things over and over again. And, um, and it has become this like, this thing that does it runs itself for a little while. Yep. I just know that like I've read enough and talked to enough people to know that like that process and those foundations take years to create. They can. And so I'm just yeah. in that, like that space right now where I'm mm-hmm. trying to create those processes so that mm-hmm. in a few years, really so much of what I'm intimately involved in now is, is running itself. And I've hired people that can do a lot of things that I was just trying to have to like innovate on early. Yeah. Yeah, I so. think that's a, a a massive component that you hit on just at the end is hiring the right people that you can yeah. just kind of set loose, right? They have mm-hmm. the skills necessary. You're not having to coach them up in all the different ways. Yeah. And you just set them loose to grow and build the business and they're a, a trusted partner at that point. Man, yeah, I've always said hiring great people um, is like primary factor number one. They can be a great coach and a terrible person. They can be yeah. a great coach and not a great fit. Mm-hmm. I'm just finding somebody that fits your culture and the philosophy and the brand you're trying to build and then finding a place for them. Like I, the person who like really just keeps me afloat, like our, one of our operations girls, um, I mean, she never lifted a weight. She never does. She has not, does not do Olympic weightlifting. She didn't yeah. come to us from Olympic weightlifting. I brought her to nationals two years ago and she like got to see a meet for the first time, like all those things, mm-hmm. but she's good people. She, I, like you said, I don't, I could just give her things and trust her and she's off yep. to the races yep. and she does so many things that I don't know about anymore that, um, she's just a critical part of like our operations and but it's because she's just good people. Yeah. And it's, it's cool that you mentioned that because Jerem, uh, who you spoke with, he has a ton of experience in business building and course creation and, and all of that. But he came from the entrepreneurial space, coaching other entrepreneurs. So he worked yeah. with big, big educating co- companies. Yeah. Previous, he doesn't really know anything about sports, yeah. uh, but that didn't matter for me. It's like we're we have a lot of different facets of what we do, but the main thing is I just need people around me that are dependable and innovative yes. and, and can, you know, I just he's on vacation and he teed up messages to be sent to me uh, yeah, on a schedule exactly. while he was gone. You know, I didn't even know he was doing any of that stuff, which is great. Yeah, that's that's such a value. Like people who take initiative, you're, they're trustworthy assets. They like people that you would trust to do the things that you do that you find really yeah. bad. Like you said, like he's on vacation and knew that there's a couple of things he needed to knock out for you. Like those yep. people are just, they're invaluable. A hundred percent. And I think one of the biggest struggles for, for all coaches across all sports, all around the world, because we're in 60 plus sports, 140 something countries now is that first hire. Yeah. And because most of us, myself included and you, right, we're all just kind of individual coaches and then eventually if things, if the stars align, we got to bring somebody on to help us out. Mm-hmm. What was that moment like for you where you got that first teammate yeah. and are they still with you? That, that, that doesn't always happen, but are they still right. with you? I'm curious. And then how did you go from one to, I guess he said nine now, right? So Yeah, I think first re- real hire, somebody who actually like, you know, wasn't just volunteering with somebody who has paying. Mm-hmm. Um, he... I, I've always, I don't know who told it to me, but I think it's dead on the first, your first hire in your business needs to be somebody who's different, dependable, but different from you. Hmm. Your second mm-hmm. hire can be somebody who can replace you. Um, okay. and so I don't know who told me that, but I love that. So I hired somebody yeah. very different from me. Um, he, he actually was the guy that he, and he kind of worked himself. He interned with me for a year, paid for the internship. So I knew he was committed. Wow. Um, and then he was his idea to do this, the webinars over COVID, the continuing mm. ed and all of that. 
Um, and so it was, so he, he literally almost created his own position because he created yep. this idea that began to generate income. And then we used that idea to help up to train other coaches who would then come on staff. So okay. he, he, um, he created his own situation and now he's still on staff, still running all our continuing education and our webinars. Um, and, and then my second hire was somebody who's very similar to me. Um, and so he, yeah, that first hire, it didn't so much so that I, I went and sought him out as much as he just like made it readily clear that he'd be a very good part of the team. Yeah. And yeah. That he was like really committed already. Yep. Yeah. In the early days of, of our company, we had people in a very similar position where they just were convincing us that they were the right people, not the other way around, Yeah, uh, which is a really special position to be in. Yeah. And Absolutely. yeah, so let's, let's maybe talk about the high school side of things. Cause I know a lot of folks start off in that kind of traditional setting in certain sports. I know track and field, yeah. weightlifting and others, cause that's, they have the, the resources and the kids to do that. Other sports more and more are moving out of high school. Uh, a lot yeah. of the training and competitive side is not even in certain high schools anymore. Uh, but what's the, what's the relationship with the school there? Cause that's where you started, right? Yeah. So how, I, I want to maybe ask a, a better question. So you're with the school there. Are you able to train those kids individually in your separate programs as well? Or is there some sort of kind of understanding that you're only going to train them within the, the confinements of the school? Yeah. So I'm in a small private school, so I don't have, you know, there are some schools out there where coaches have 4,000 athletes. I have Mm -hmm. 270. Okay. Um, And that's a lot more than I had when I got there. Um, Mm. We just made a really good program that's attractive. Um, And so I don't, I don't, and the thing about the small private school is like when you, when you do small private stuff, generally the best athletes don't play one sport. Right. So mm-hmm. because they're so valuable, that they're valuable in football, they're probably also valuable in, in baseball and basketball. Sure. Yeah. Um, and so you don't have a lot of outside training happening because they go, they train with you during the day and then they got to go to practice. Right. Um, so there's not even an opportunity unless it's off season, but they don't have much of an off season. It sounds like. Right. And I don't have train. Mm-hmm. There's nobody in the weight room at, at when school's over because they're all on fields somewhere. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, or, you know, or, or in bag cages or whatever. And so, um, I don't really have that issue because they don't have to. Now there have been some athletes who have worked with me who want to try weightlifting, right? Like mm. they're, they're, a, they're a volleyball player or a track and field athlete. And they want to also do weightlifting. I'll bring them into my facility after school when that makes okay. sense okay. and do ancillary training on top of what they're already doing in the school. But that's a very, I mean, that's been like two or three total people in the course of my career. Most of them, there's what I do is very separate from what they do at the school because not because of anything, but just time in the day, right? They, yeah. they gotta, they go to practice and then they gotta do homework and they gotta get, you know, get dinner and all that. And so they run out of time too. And, and like, they're getting enough. They don't, there's not much that yeah. I can offer them that they're not already getting, you know, is working for a small private school, something that you would recommend for other folks in your position as a pretty cush and something that maybe some, some of the coaches out there listening should try to chase down. Yeah, I don't know why you wouldn't, right? If you're okay. if you're at all interested in strength and conditioning, private high schools have a, have a, a myriad of different attraction points that that anybody interested in strength and conditioning should look at. One, they have okay. more resources generally than a public school, right? 100%. So they, they're yeah. going to have more resources. So th- so you're going to be able to go and get and do things. We have velocity based training systems in every single one of our racks at the school, so that's pretty odd, right? Like those are really expensive very high-end technology pieces in every rack we have yeah, at the school. I can imagine. We also just got like wearable technology that we put on all of our best athletes. It's a cool. big investment from the school and their standpoint. When I need new stuff, I ask the school, and generally they're able to provide me with all the resources that I need at the school. So one, it, it kind of gives yeah. you an open book on what you can do. And two, like the be- best thing about a private school is they don't have to, there's a lot of red tape that they're able to get around because they're mm-hmm. not a, a, a public government-funded school. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's a lot of things that I'm able to do. The fact that I can go spend a week in Las Vegas in the middle of sports training season in the middle of summer mm-hmm. is because I'm in a scenario with that kind of flexibility. Yep. Um, they do a good job of allowing me, <clears throat> like many private jobs, to kind of flex in and out of what is required of me okay. to be able to support me in, in things that happen outside the school. And so nice. that wouldn't always be the case with a public school. Um, and I know a lot of guys in public schools are envy- envious of my having two assistants and 
having the yeah, setup that ask, I do yeah. because, yeah, I mean, because they don't have that because of resources yep. and just protocol, right? If you do it for one school in the county, you got to do it for everybody. And so uh-huh. um, in private school, you don't have to do that. And remind me how long you've been working for them? I'm, I'm in my fifth year. Fifth them. year. So yeah. let's, since it does sound great, is there any kind of general advice that you might give somebody in your position that wants to stand out from the crowd and land a job like that? Yeah. Best thing, obviously there's like, there's like clear certifications that are gold standards that um, are really important, right? If you're in the high school world, (laughs) getting a CSCS, like a a certified strength Mm -hmm. conditioning coach certification like that, that's like a, just a, it's a really good gold standard. I think it's in my mind, like a minimum base to be able to hire somebody that's really, really serious about it. Right. They're just not like a a fitness coach that wants to do some stuff. Right. Um, The other thing I'd say is like having active involvement in, strength and conditioning organizations like the National High School Strength and Conditioning Association, mm. um, things like that, active involvement, um, not only will it make your resume look different, but it also connects you to people who will then right. be able to connect you to open jobs. So the yep. networking piece happens inside the NSCA and the NHSSCA, those organizations for strength and conditioning, that all happens inside those those opportunities. And so um, for, for, for most just being in those circles is a really great start. Yeah. The second thing I'd say is like add a hat. So either be, either be a really good sport coach, right? So like be good Mm. at track and field, be able Mm -hmm. to be the head coach of a basketball team, be able to be the head coach of the volleyball team, having that added credibility, even though you may not need to do it in the long run, um, will also give, make you hireable early. Right. So I know a lot of people who got hired as the assistant, football coach and strength coach, and now are only the strength coach. I because see. So they you, did such you a may, good job, yeah, they, yeah. They, they filtered out of that. Yep, yeah. yep. So that makes that, total having, sense. Having something that um, is more than just that also makes you attractive. Absolutely, absolutely. So let's, let's jump uh, from the school setting to where most of our audience sits, because most of the folks that, that use Coach Now uh, or that might be listening to this, whether they do or don't, usually are more of that uh, entrepreneurial mindset, that kind of sole nice. proprietor, maybe academy owner, gym owner, somebody like that. So let, let's talk a little bit more about your your gym and the remote coaching side, because I know in the in the chat you had with Jerem, a lot of his notes back to me were about that remote coaching side. And I know yeah. a lot of folks here are always trying to figure out that balance. So to kind of set a little bit of context too, from what we see, so many coaches get hung up in this, this lesson side of things, which drives me absolutely nuts. And I qualify lessons as quick fixes and, and exchanging yeah. time for money and there's no real progress. Right. And we, I don't know if we coined remote coaching, but I've been saying it for so long, I've almost convinced myself that we came up with it, but I don't know if that's true. Right. But there's a big difference between remote coaching and online lessons. Yes. And then for you, there's people that you're seeing in the gym and then you're monitoring their progress and coaching them in between those times. Yeah. Uh, so this is a pretty open-ended question. So I'll try to reel it back in. Talk to me about how the remote coaching specifically, all those folks that you don't see ever or at yeah. least maybe once a year, once a month, you know, very infrequently. Right. Talk to me about that side of your business, how it's evolved and as, as open as you want to be talk me through some of the, the offers that you've constructed, right? So the, yeah. the financial side of it, as much as you can to say, Hey, I'm going to give you this, if you pay this, and this is the program that would be yeah. I mean, immensely helpful if you can share that. So I would, I would tell you, to, we, we have a gym, like a, a brick and mortar place mm-hmm. that people do train in person. Um, but there's, there are only about 15% of our entire company train here in person with me. Um, everybody else is remote. Um, and, um, when I got into weightlifting, I knew and still believe that the best coaching happens in person. Um, Mm -hmm. and so being able to monitor, give instantaneous feedback, see measurable, measurable change right there on the moment is instant. It's like, it is the best, but it's not a qualified option for a lot. I mean, a lot of people in this world, um, to have a qualified coach, to be able to afford it. I mean, all those things. And so, um, when we, started down the remote coaching trail, I knew that like, I wasn't willing to sacrifice a lot of the advantages of an in-person coach. And so we had to create a system that could get, obviously wouldn't be the same, but a system that could get closer or as close Mm -hmm. as possible. And so what we did was we thought about what is all, what do all, what are all the things that happen in person? So more than just like a personalized written program, right? Like 
more than just that, what else happens in person? When you get a coach who's able to be agile enough emotionally to engage with you relationally and to, in order to elicit a certain change, right? I'm not going to talk to one athlete who's very driven, motivated by winning the same way as somebody motivated by processes. And so, you know, how do I, how, so how do I create that sign of center and inform coaches so that coaches can engage in feedback in that way? That was a big question. Also, like we see with our eyes in person a lot more than what we see in a video they text us. And yeah. so I, what do we see? Well, we see imbalances. We see movement patterns that are different. So how do I create a scenario where we at least have like a base for what we're working with? Right? How, mm. can, how do I get a glance at those imbalances and movements way before we start writing programming? And then ultimately, we wanted to know, is there a way that I could give three different types of feedback to an athlete at any given point in time. How could I give them visual feedback, verbal feedback, and then, and then readable, like ta- like feedback that they could read and remember type right. of thing. And so um, that's when we like created the whole process, right? So when you join our, our team, um, we do a, fi- a remote physical analysis, like assessment. We have a doctor that t- tells them to film X, Y, and Z videos. He looks at them, mm. reviews them, gives them verbal feedback and a written summary back. We also get that feedback. So now I know from the jump, like what am I looking at from an athlete? That's a personalized look at where they start at. Also, like we created a four week, like introductory program that helps us learn like where their work capacity is. How do they respond to high intensity lifting? How do they respond to like bring them real low and letting them rest? Mm. And so I got some concept of where they are physiologically. And then we also added, I stole this from our special forces in the United States, but also some like federations around the world, we added in a behavior analysis. So they fill out a a thing, I fill out a survey of sorts. We get behavior analysis back. This isn't like, oh, well, I'm energetic or I'm hyper. No, this is like, how do I respond to stressors? How do I respond Mm. to training? What is my self-image? Those kinds of things so that we can then cater our feedback to them. So So we know what they're motivated by. We know what they fear. We know what gets them, makes them feel comfortable. Um, and then ultimately we added coach now as well, which is an opportunity for us to have a one-on-one interpersonal relationship with an athlete via, via an app, be able to give them verbal, visual, and like readable feedback that then they can review whenever they want. Right. Um, that we created that system in response to this great need for remote coaches and athletes. And I don't know, I don't think it is, it obviously is not the same as in person, but I don't know that I've seen any system out there that gets as close as we get Mm. um, to both like interpersonal relationships um, and like seeing like clear measurable change in the right direction from an athlete um, other than that system. And we're all, I mean, always reviewing and revising and changing and adding and deleting things as they see fit um, to that system. But when you go to a national championships, and you see this athlete that you've only seen once or twice a year, and you have a relationship with them yeah. that feels like you see them every day. That's like the affirmation for us that we've we've kind of transcended this like remote feel, and we're a little more involved in their life. I want to pull on that thread a little bit because you said it a couple times, and it's so so important to me and why we built what we built. But the term relationship, and yeah. far too often, uh, a lot of folks that hopefully will listen to this fall into the trap of. Hey, send me a video. I'll draw a bunch of lines on it, tell you a bunch of stuff and good luck. Yeah. And generally what in in any sport, tennis, baseball, weightlifting, whatever it is in those exchanges, it's let me basically tell you how bad you are at whatever (laughs) you're doing and send you on your way to figure it out. Right. And then you can contact me later (laughs) at some other time and I'll draw a bunch more lines and tell you how bad you are now. Right. Instead of using that opportunity as an assessment, like you described, and then creating a program, but more importantly, establishing a relationship and an understanding that this is going to be some, some form of long-term relationship, depending on your yeah. goals and your resources and everything else. Um, so kind of talk me through your, how you view the relationship of coach to athlete and also how you're able to instill that that level of uh, importance into your staff too, because really I think that's the secret sauce is if, if people know how much you care, that's the most important part, yeah. I think. Yeah, so the truth is like relationships form so much of the foundation for longevity for an athlete um, and a coach. So if you don't have a great relationship, there's no established trust. If you don't have great experiences, then there's no desire to repeat those experiences. If you don't have like a, a culture with that athlete of 
um, hey, I'm just as like emotionally invested in your progress mm. as you are, then that athlete's going to feel less loyal and not as like, not as connected. And so um, for us, like, we just want to make sure that we establish a relationship where those things can still happen. Um, where we can ha- we have moments in training where I can like that. Wh- I just did this, did this today. Um, an athlete finally, I mean, I'm talking about finally did what I've been trying to get her to do for six yeah. weeks. And I almost jumped through the phone. I was so excited, but I did. She got to yeah. hear my diction. She got to yeah. hear my excitement and my, my, how proud I was of her. That's way better than, great job exclamation point you know um you and can't so the convey vote, emotion through text right you got to do the video and you one can't. way or the and other and i'm not yeah. saying that yeah. texting isn't a good means for coaching but it is it's just not the only and it's not even yeah. in my sense like uh, the it cannot be the sole sense and so she got to hear me be excited which means like she could feel from me yeah that like she had done something well and that establishes trust and consistency and that establishes an opportunity for us to grow together. And she see this as a, a journey where both of us are doing it rather than just her and, and getting some like outside advice. Um, yeah. I, my temptation is just what you said. My temptation is pull up the video, tell you the seven things you did wrong, send and move on to the next athlete. Um, <laughs> I've gotten really good feedback both from my staff because I hired good people and from some of my athletes who are bold enough to say, Hey, like all I do is hear the bad things. All right. I do is hear the bad things. And so that's a good encouragement to me to like, not even just tell them good things, but for them to be able to sense a sense in which, Hey, I, I'm harping on this issue because I care about it as much as you do. Yeah. Or yeah. for them to sense for me, like, Hey, I, I'm, I, I'm as proud of you doing this as I've ever been for you. And you can see, you can hear that and sense that. Um, and so finding ways to like, that's the beauty of voiceover, um, and being able to hear people's voices is you can you can really sense the relationship growth. Um, and so for me, like just always encouraging my staff, and we do this once a month with our staff, we talk about ways to like have emotional agility in order to be mm. able to engage with athletes so that they feel that they're on a journey with you as a coach, not just a journey that also has this like outsourced helper. Yes, 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 yes. How are How are you doing or how... Oh, actually, this. How do you feel you're doing in passing that same level of understanding back to the athlete? And we'll talk about the, the technical pieces of, of the movement, right? So there's one thing for you to draw a bunch of lines. That's the beginning of every relationship because they don't even know up from down in a lot of cases. And right. then over time, they should be able to look at their own video and go, mm, that, yep, I see that. So how much are you use, how much are you passing the autonomy to them to then draw lines and do voiceovers and, and educate themselves so that you're not um, directing and maybe more so calibrating? Yeah, so that's kind of a new remember, just really started rolling on this in COVID. Yep. So that's kind of the new thing we're seeing is now and one of my coaches rightly pointed this out to me. Um, she was an Olympian, so went to the Olympics in 2016 and then rightly pointed out that like there's a need for athlete independence of their coach. Like they, yep. they've got to be able to be competitive and able to be in the gym and do everything they're supposed to do without this like incessant need to look to their right immediately and see if they did it right. Oh my god! You know, yeah. they got to be able to feel it. They got to be able to see it. Uh, and so she's, she kind of came back a little bit where I'm like, I don't know. Like, I feel like we should always tell them. She's like, should you like, or should they be able to see it? Yep. Um, and so her, one of the things we're working on is like, how do we, we're working on finding ways to encourage, like literally tell an athlete, Hey, when you see something and you post a video in your space, why don't you tag like right in there, like what you see um, 100%. And, and either a, we can affirm it like, Hey, we see that too. That's a great point. I, and that happens naturally with some athletes. If you have a good relationship with them, and they'll, like I had an athlete this past week at national championships. He's like, Hey, just make, like he told me, like, Hey, as I'm warming up, make sure and watch for this specific thing because we'd been working on that specific mm-hmm. thing for the block. Right. And so, and he was saying in his videos, like, Hey, I think I got my knees back really well on this one or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so like, they'll do that naturally, but encouraging athletes to become coaches in their own eyes, like yes. to see their own lifts, um, is something we just had to be intentional about. You just gotta tell them, hey, yep. listen, when you see something, be sure to like type that in. We'll either affirm it or we'll say, yes, like here's what might've caused that. Um, we Cause we want, this is new, brand new for us. Like we want our athletes to be able to see their own lifts in the same light that we see them So A, they're not like absolutely dependent on us and B, it makes them valuable in whatever setting they're also in. So they become then good coaches for other people. 
Yeah. I mean, you develop this like coaching chain. A lot, all of our coaches that are on our staff were once athletes on our staff. Mm-hmm. And so they all kind of began to see what we see and then became great coaches. Um, I think, so I think for us it's two faceted then be able to be independent of the coach enough that they don't need affirmation of what they think they're seeing, but they see it. And then also get to a point where we're, we're able to like lean on them to, and trust them to be able to see what we see. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I would say after seeing hundreds of thousands of coaches and millions and millions of posts in our system, the absolute best practice, the coaches that are the happiest, the athletes that are the happiest are when a coach refuses at a certain point to, to even accept or look at a video without the athlete's context wrapped into it somehow. That's good. Right. Right. So for me as a golf coach and the guy that, you know, built this thing and has been using a long time, I was, and still coach a few people. And if in the beginning of a relationship, if anybody posts, just here's a, just a swing, with, with right. nothing, right? I go, what am I supposed to get from this? Right. right? This is one at? swing and one moment of time. Give me your, what the ball do? How did it feel? What do you think? What? Give me context. Otherwise, I can't give you feedback. That's good right? onus on them, right? Like that puts good onus on them so that they have to be as involved in development as you are. That's, yeah, that's I, really I will not coach and I will stand by this 100% with every coach that I talk to because we, we run these educational courses about the business of coaching. And one of the things that's always surprising for coaches is when I say, if they're not willing to do the work in the relationship uh, agreement that we've set up, if they're not following in that, in that, that um, process that we've agreed upon, I'm not going to coach them. It's just not going to happen. Right. right? Because amazing. especially in the junior athlete world, which you spend a lot of time in, uh, but especially like the, the high performance ones that are seeing you in your gym individually, mom and dad come in and go, well, you know, so-and-so isn't performing in the way that we thought they would. I go, well, look, they haven't even posted. And when they post, they don't even give me any information. Like they're not taking ownership of this. Right. We're working on the same grip mechanics or the same stance <laughs> mechanics for the yeah. last two months. Yeah, right. There's no ownership. There's no ownership. So the, the way that we usually describe it, or the way that I describe it is kind of this directive versus calibrative feedback. In the mm. beginning, you're going to direct a bunch, but as soon as you can, you want to switch it to calibrative. They're, they're taking ownership and you're tweaking the rocket, so to speak, instead of telling them all the things to do. That's and so from good. a straight business perspective, that allows you to actually have a lot more clients. Yeah, it gives you, it gives you way more space and, and bandwidth. Way more. And the, the ones that are in that calibrative um, space at this point with you are still getting immense value. Mm-hmm. And they're still going to stay with you because nobody yeah. fires a coach because they got too good at whatever they hired them for. Yeah, I mean, so I, I don't see that happening. No. Right. So if they only need to communicate with you 10 minutes in total a month, but the beauty of coach now is that you can have these micro connections, yeah. these little touch points, right? Where a little voiceover from you might hold them over for two weeks because they're so excited working on that, but it only took you two minutes. Right. Right. But now you've got all this space for so many more people to work with, get them into the directive phase and then move them to calibrated phase. And now you've got hundreds and hundreds of people like you do now. Yeah. Instead of 10 that you have to hold the hand over. And right. It's, right. Because it's cause the truth is for someone like me, I'm not just like, it's just one facet of our coaching relationship is coach now. Like mm-hmm. there's a lot of other facets, programming and adjustments and all those things. So being able to make them calibrative in that, in that sense, like, really does a it makes them makes it's going to give them a better like training session because they're going to feel things and see things earlier at, at way before they get to top weights and also like gives going to give you a little more space to let to to do things that you also need to be doing with that athlete and with others yeah and i think someone in your position a lot of it just boils down to asking questions eventually rather than yeah. telling telling them things right and right. what do you see in this lift what are you thinking about when this ball happened you know Especially because your sport and golf are, are, I think, more similar than not. They're Very so similar. technical, right? Yeah. And uh, golf, you can't get nearly as hurt right. as, uh, I mean, you true. can get hurt if you do it wrong, but. Right. I mean, I can the, drop the, a bar the, in your head. The consequences are, are a bit gnarlier in, in your sport. <laughs> yes. So um, I think passing that ownership on to them is so important and then encouraging them to journal or, or recap. Right. And that's one of the things that you hit on a minute ago, which I think is so powerful about video is it shouldn't just be all about drawing lines on things. Right. 
it should be about learning moments. It should be about conveying emotion. So for me, you know, someone in your sport, I would send, if I was your athlete, right, I would send you me lifting from the camera angles that you've told me to lift. I would be doing the things you told me to do. And then I would also send you a recap video of me talking directly to camera going, Hey, this is what I felt like today. This is what I learned today. Mm. I'm doing my own voiceover potentially that way. I, as an athlete are taking complete ownership. And when I look back, because I'm struggling, I mean, all, all athletes go up and down, you have the plateaus and whatever. Yeah. A video of you at your most hyped because you, you hit your PR today or whatever it might be. I mean, those are so such powerful moments. Yes. Um, whereas you can't really convey that with a, a piece of text. Right. right. Like no, saying. I agree. Oh, totally. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so now we had yeah we had a, a natural lull there from that right uh, so i'm in my head rant. i'm like i'm already like revived because we're actually we're working on this like okay as a staff right now like because i i'm like you know i want to be able to set a standard for our coaches like how much engagement how much is like a, a coaching are we acquiring but at the same level they're pushing back saying hey aren't we creating dependence is there a way in which we can like you know, pr- show something different, that kind of stuff. So this very, yep. like, it's a very interactive piece for us right now as we're trying to figure that out. Yeah. And I can tell you, um, and this is something that's been behind closed doors for quite some time, but we're going to be releasing it just out in the public anyway, but, and I'll share it with you now because someone would have to listen to this whole thing to find it. Uh, but generally the way that we kind of structure this is, and what we call connected coaching is if you think about the 15% of your business, that's in person, right? Yeah there's a clear opportunity to make those those folks if we're just talking about the numbers and sense of it incredibly valuable to you guys yeah and in doing so it's a mixture of in-person and remote time and so as a as an example from a lot of other sports it would be you know we're going to see each other two hours a month in person and then i'm going we're going to do a a 30-minute zoom call or something else for the other part Mm -hmm. of the month those those are our, our live interactions that we have yeah and then twice a week, I will uh, analyze videos for you and add, answer a couple questions. Yeah. And now that program, no matter what sport you're in, that's a four to five hundred dollar a month program. Right. You only need twenty or so people at that price point. Now you're a hundred k. Right. And that's a, that's a big threshold for a lot of coaches is that hundred thousand right. dollar mark. Right. Because we ran a survey, and sadly, most coaches are somewhere between thirty and forty thousand dollars a year. Right. Sure. And we don't want that for anybody. Nope. And and so our big passion is, okay, how can we consolidate the in-person time, which is so important, and then monitor and calibrate the rest of the time delivering yeah. value and get people on a on a subscription-based coaching plan versus a you know, right. like some folks an hourly. So right. talk talk me through the the if you can, you know, just a little bit of the the dollars and cents of it yeah. in the uh, the offers that you're creating. Are you setting up a, a minimum commitment for folks? Are you charging a monthly like I hope you are? Yes. Um, how, how are you going about doing this? Yeah, so we our minimum commitment is the first month. We believe that inside okay. that first month, we can deliver a product that they'll want to they'll want to stick with forever. Um, and, we, and so far, that's been absolutely true. Um, we're, okay. on a, we're on a, annual, or a monthly subscription based on number of workouts per week. So if they okay. work out three times a week, it's 140 bucks a month. Recur- recurring, if it's and that's for um, people that are going to the physical space. No, right? that's for remote, completely remote. Okay, so can you define a, a workout then uh, for yeah, me? Yeah, so so that would be uh, so I don't know. Let's see. If I'm a if I'm an athlete and I have higher power and grace for mm-hmm. three time three times a week workout, they'll get a program from us that gives them three workouts to do that week. They'll complete that I workout see. in whatever whatever gym they're in, whether it's in their okay. home or another gym that they're at, and they'll film what what they believe to be the most important sets or the top sets. Or the yep. top sets. And then they'll toss that into space and coach. Now we okay. guarantee um, some sort of interaction or feedback on w- one or two of those videos a day. Not, mm-hmm. not all of them. So if you film 18 and put them in there, like we're not even going to watch all of them. I like um, how you got the minimum set. That's super. Yeah, important. yeah. 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 We're not, we're not telling them. They know that coming in, like, you know, you're more than welcome to put them in there to save for your own keeping. hundred percent. But we're not engaging in anything that we don't, that you don't tell us is super important and that we think may be redundant. Um, and so three times a week. So, so from a time standpoint, remote coaching, you're looking, you're looking at maybe four minutes a day, five minutes a day, three, three times a week for that. Yep. Yep. That's pretty doable. Right. Um, from a remote coaching standpoint. And Mm -hmm. so you can do that for three days a week for 140. You can do that for four days a week for 210. 
and then you can do five days up at 275. Okay. And so and we have, we have athletes all across that gamut. Um, you know, when they come in, they, they sign up, they do an interview with me. Every athlete that comes into our program does an interview with me. Um, I then assign them to a coach. The coach starts that process. We talked about where we get behavior analysis and physical mm-hmm. assessment and initial acclimation data. And then they're off to the races, um, to train in person. They just pay a hundred dollar gym membership fee to be here in person. Okay. And so if I'm, so I pay a hundred bucks, but then I still on top of that, I have to have another membership to pay yes. for the programming and the other remote coaching if I'm gone or any of that. So the gym membership itself is just an add on yep. to anything else that they have. So in the very base of what we do, you got to have a programming membership that comes with remote coaching, even if you're in person. Beautiful. Right. So if you travel or if I'm gone or whatever, we still have that relationship continuing. Um, and then, um, you know, and then that, that, like that gym membership just allows them in the, into this, this location. Mm-hmm. Now, if I want to come in and this happens a lot, if I want to come in, I live in Oregon and I want to come to Georgia to train for a month, we'll create a, a one month package for them yep. to pay for membership for here for the month. They'll train for a month, still keep their remote coaching going. Um, because a lot of them want to be able to drop videos into that space because they refer back to it and put tags yeah. on it and all that stuff. Yep. Um, and so that's kind of how the pricing structure works. Um, we were, we were a little cheaper than that. Um, and then COVID created great demand and we got to a point where we were out of coaches and had a waiting list. The way you facilitate that is that you can do one of two things. You can increase your capacity or you can, you can increase your price. And so we increased our price a little bit. Um, we still saw some, but we were able to, we were able to come, basically we were able to come up even with the marketplace. Um, before we were below marketplace pricing. And so, yeah, everybody was attracted to us. We were the cheapest guys on the block. Yeah. Um, but then we brought, and then we, what happened when we came up even with the marketplace, one, it legitimatized a lot of our coaches. And two, mm-hmm. um, it, at that moment, um, people who were reaching out to us were willing to make an investment in themselves, mm-hmm. not just looking for the cheap fix. Um, and so we've gotten a lot of really high quality athletes because they don't see it as just like a cheap thing that it's not like a gold gym membership, right? It's a, it's a, it's a investment in themselves. It seems like given your results, right? If you were just, and we can t- we should talk about that in a minute, actually, because I think that's important aspect for everybody is to understand the results that you are creating for people. Obviously it depends on what their goals are to start. Uh, but given what I've heard, and we'll talk about it again in a minute, are, are you looking at raising those prices yet again? Cause it seems like there's an appetite, especially, I mean, Olympic weightlifting has never been more popular. And if, it, right. if you just look, if I look at it as a dummy who doesn't know anything about it, I just look in our system. We're having yeah. Olympic weightlifting spaces created all the time. Yeah. So there's clearly a demand for it. And it seems like because it is so specialized, uh, that the, those prices could be even higher. I don't know, but it seems like it. Yeah. I think when we break the, there's a certain threshold that we're looking to break and we break that okay. threshold and get a little more international. Okay. Um, I think we could see that could be a, a conversation that we have as a staff. Luckily, like I've got, I've got directors now. So I have direct reports that then seems <laughs> like a year ago, it was just me and Adam, you know, it's like, yeah, you know, now it's like I have directors over departments and those departments have, have things that they're in charge of and people that are underneath them. And so, um, we have direct report meetings, and when those meetings happen, we ha- we talk these conversations. When it gets to the point where where my director of coaching is like, "Hey, we're overwhelmed. We don't have any more space. Our coaches can't do more. I feel like they're maybe taxed a little bit. We're watering down the product. That kind of thing starts to happen, which is what happened before. Mm-hmm. Then that conversation will be for real. Um, I also think there's a, a, a scenario where we end up going international um, and mm-hmm. meeting more coaches to be able to to do that. We would see an increase there. Um, yep. We haven't reached that threshold just yet. Um, and I also don't want to be too far. I, I don't want to be too far above the marketplace because I don't want us okay. to be so, I don't want us to be inaccessible um, mm-hmm. for an athlete who's looking for a really great experience. So for me, there's some accessibility pieces in there that I don't want to go too far from. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I learned that in the private school, right? So there's an X, as part of the private school, you got to pay X amount of dollars to be there. And yet yes. that sometimes can be a, it can be a barrier to entry for people that really do would be great fits for the school. Absolutely. Same concept for us. Like, I don't want to be, yep. I don't want to be so inaccessible that we're not accessible to athletes who would be a great fit for us philosophically and great fit for us culturally. So there's you, a, it's a balance that we got to figure out. 
Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And every business goes through this, uh, uh, us included. You're always yeah. kind of just looking at the market, trying to understand what's what. One of the things that, that seems to come out in a lot of these conversations is that you as the the founder, the head the head coach, you know, the the expert amongst your amongst your group, one of the things that usually comes out is how do we position you in that way? One of the ways to do that is to change your rates. Yeah. Right? Is that yeah. something you guys have explored or something that you are currently doing where you're you're kind of off to the side a little bit and people have to qualify to work with you? We did that. So the rates that we currently charge for everybody used to be my rates. Mm -hmm. um, and then we moved everybody to that. I do think there's a scenario. This is a, that's a, I mean, you're talking about what we're talking about. There's a scenario yeah. where our senior level coaches, coaches who are coaching athletes at the international level, at the highest level, doing yep. with the most complex procedures could be, could be classified as having to charge a little more. And so yep. then you, then you restructure pricing and then you're able to bring coaches in yep. and be able to be, ensure that they're able to prov provide it with athletes um, at a, at a, at a certain price point. And then for the co the athlete that either a makes an international level and wants to, to go up to that point, or like you find a way where their success drives that and we scholarship mm -hmm. them up as far as accessibility mm -hmm. goes. So part of it is like balancing that as, and for, again, we're talking about it's 2022 in 2019, it was two of us. Yeah. So like, I, there's a lot of level at which my coaches are gaining the experience that I want them to gain that I just gained in the last four years. Yeah. And so I've got another, I got, I, I have such a, such a reminder to myself to not, to not see this, but to see like the 20 year thing Yeah. Um, where those coaches have been to two Olympics now. Yes. Um, and they've got international experience. It outdates, it outdoes me right now. Right. Yeah. Um, it's hard to see yourself as a, it's hard to not see yourself as experienced when really it's only been three or four years right. of the level at which I would consider myself experienced. But um, in 10 or in 15 years, you may, you may end up with coaches who have coached at 12 world championships and yeah. three Olympics. And, and then you're talking about having, having real classifications versus compared to the guy who just started coaching for you last week right. compared to that. And so, Part of it is that gap is going to get bigger, and then mm -hmm. you're going to be able to really separate those price points out more. We just got to give it time. I think um, I'm doing everything I can to make sure we're just not a flash in the pan. Totally. Um, we're just try trying to create foundational um, sort of roadblocks that keep us productive and healthy and moving in the right direction, creating that flywheel effect. Um, so I think I think part of me is like, um, yes, but like I'm not so quick to jump yet, kind mm -hmm. of thing. Yep, absolutely. One other question I have for you is uh, around evergreen content, right? Yeah. So accessibility is an important thing. Yeah. Not everyone is ready to get personalized coaching uh, for yeah. whatever reason. Mm -hmm. It is difficult to create evergreen content that someone mm -hmm. can plug into. I'm curious if you guys are talking about that. Seems like given your, your level of programming that somebody could plug into a generic program and have at least moderate success. Yeah, so we have two programs that do that. We have a silver and Perfect. bronze package where if I'm looking to work out three days a week, I can pay 20 bucks a month. Mm -hmm. I join a Coach Now group, truly, like a group, instead of a Great. space. Um, I have two coaches that then interact with people occasionally throughout that group, but also those that group interacts with each other, built their own little small online community. Same thing for silver, but it's five days a week. Both are competition-based programming. We do, like, I, I, I mean, I said we're going to do one thing really well. We're not going to do seven things kind of well. We're going to do one thing, mm -hmm. competition weightlifting. Um, and so each of, each of those programs are still built to design and designed to help an athlete compete in the sport of weightlifting. They're just done at a, at a more general, um, level. And so if I'm, if I got time to work out three days a week, I work out three days a week and I do it on this bronze program for 20 bucks a month, silver is 50 bucks a month. I still get engaged in the community. I still get yeah. some interaction from an athlete and a coach. Um, I'm just not getting the personalized level. And those are so so ripe to then go to the personal level, right? Yeah. And, and we've seen a lot of people upgrade. Yeah, I mean, you've got such a great foundation, and, and I knew some of these answers, but I'm asking you them because everyone needs to hear them. Yeah, because uh, far too often uh, coaches are are not focused on the multiple streams of income side of things. They're like, oh, well, now I need to become a famous YouTuber. And it's like, no, no, you don't. <laughs> I mean, you could. I mean, that's fine, but. Within your own offer, within your own expertise, your own community, there's a myriad of things that you can sell them to keep them engaged and you can upgrade and downgrade them depending on, you know, where they are in their life and their, their training yeah. cycles. So I, yeah. 
I'm so happy to hear that you're doing that because you have a lot of the foundational pieces already established, which is yeah. so, so cool. Um, so as, as we kind of get closer to wrapping up, I've never been to the Olympics. <laughs> you went, yes? I did. Yeah, I know Tokyo. your athletes did, but I know uh, travel was a little bit dicey, right? So <laughs> understatement talk, talk, of the year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, share. I, I mean, this is a little off topic, but I know anybody listening to this would love to hear, you know, what that experience is like. Oh my gosh. I mean, truly, you'll, we'll never do it again. Like, I hope, gosh, cross your fingers, never do it again. But um, obviously, the Olympics were delayed a year. So we were planning yeah. on Tokyo 2020. In my world, you don't plan in months, you plan in quads. So you plan in four year chunks. And so when mm. I write athletes programs that have a shot at the Olympics, I'm doing it with a progression in mind for 2020. Well, 2020 didn't happen. 2021 happened. Yeah. And so you kind of have to reset and get innovative and redo a bunch of stuff and then hope. And the problem was like, since you would get there and like, all right, we have our next competition to this date. And then you'd get two months out and be like, actually just kidding. We canceled it. And then you plan for the next one. Oh, just kidding. Wow. We canceled that one. Oh, just kidding. We canceled. So it was like constantly this like reevaluate, reevaluate. How do you stay? And are these all the competitions kind of leading up to the Olympics? Like all the, prep the qualifying ones. All qualifies. the qualifying ones wow. changed. The last year of qualification was a mess. And so when we finally got to where it was time for Tokyo, we were just like so ready, regardless of how it was going to feel, regardless of what the experiences we thought we were going to have, we were just so ready to do it. Um, that the, there was a lot of red tape, right? A lot. I mean, Got, got COVID tested every single day, mm -hmm. every single day. Um, a lot of, a lot of athletes and teams that we knew of that got, got put in quarantine and all this and all that. So there was a lot of like, we couldn't leave the village and we did leave the village. We were leaving in a bus. We saw Tokyo through a bus window and then we saw mm -hmm. our venue. We didn't get to go to other sports. Like I didn't get to go watch beach volleyball. I didn't Such get to go watch gymnastics, which is a big bummer, right? Like the experience you'd hope to have, um, you didn't get to have. And so I think a lot of athletes are training for Paris because they hope to have that experience that they didn't get to have. But in the same sentence, man, when we were there, we were just happy the Olympics were happening. Because there was yeah. a little, there was a phase there where we thought, like, man, we we trained our whole lives for this and it wasn't going to happen. Yeah. Um, and so I had three athletes compete there, so I got to be there for a long time. Um, got to you do you do get to rub elbows with a lot of athletes. One of the coolest experiences is to walk into the Olympic Village and realize, like, I mean, you just look to your left and look to your right, and there's ten thousand of the fittest people on the planet, all right. from different countries, different languages, different. I mean, I, I was not, I was a white American and I was the minority in the Olympic village. Mm. That was super cool. Um, it was just a lot of like, a lot of that did get to happen. You would yeah. wake up and you would hear like teams doing a chant as they walked to breakfast Cool. and, and all of that did get to happen. So like yeah. outside of the actual competition, which, you know, kind of felt like a world championships with no spectators. Um, right. There was some like stuff in the village that felt like, man, this is like, it's the most diverse place I'll ever be in my life. That's so yeah. cool. And from what I recall, you had some some medal winners, yes? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Kate got Kate got sil a silver medal, um, which we were over the moon about. God, that's gotta um, be so cool. God, you said you just when you it doesn't set in until you see her on the podium, and the, mm. you, you know that's that's when it changes. My my guy Harrison had the best best competition of any male in the United States for Olympic weightlifting that, and was one lift away from a bronze. So that was like super cool to be in that fight. I mean, and his weight yeah. class in the world is the most competitive. It's perennially like the mm. one everybody watches. So for him to be in the fight with some of the best in the world um, at, you know, at 21 years old, was a huge. Wow. Thing. I was going to ask you how old he is. So he's got, yeah, a, he's 21. What's so. the life, what's the life cycle of a, a weightlifter typically? Um, physiologically life cycle um, is, I mean, you're going to, if you're a guy, you could probably make it till maybe 30 or 30. so. A girl, yeah. you could see some women do 33, 34. I mean, okay. our best weightlifter is 37. She's one of the best in the world. Wow. Okay. Um, but, um, but Harrison's different. Harrison said, I mean, he'd been lifting since he was nine years old. Um, and he said from the jump, like, hey, I'm doing one Olympics, and then I'm going to school. I'm going to be a surgeon. And he did. He was, he's held, I mean, he held true to his, he held true to his word. Wow. He finished. And he, 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 you know, gave me a hug, loved me and said, I'm out. And he, and he went to school and has not looked back since and to his credit. He said, that's this impressive is my commitment, which is when you're that close to a medal to be able to say, like, impressive. you know what? I got all I wanted. He had the best performance of his life on the Olympic stage. And in his mind, he said, Hey, I, I don't know that that's an experience I want to redo, right? Medal or mm. no medal. I want to go to school. I want to be a doctor. I want to serve the community through, through that. And so he did. He, and he, you know, I've talked to him since. He's as happy as I've ever seen him. So wow, 
crazy. That's amazing. Yeah. It's, the other the other two are still training. Hard. They're training for for Paris, but um, he said I'm out. It was and he, and he held true to his word. I didn't think there's any chance. I I, mean, I thought when he was that close, there's no way he wouldn't do it again. Yeah, especially with his age and everything. Yeah. Man, that's incredible. Yeah. What what an yeah. experience! And I know so many coaches would love to to just be a part of that. And yeah. uh, sounds like you're going to get to go again. Yeah, it looks like it. I mean, we've got a lot of, I mean, fingers crossed. We've got a lot of horses in the race here. So as, as you get closer, obviously, like if you have 12, it gets down to six. You sort of end up with whoever ends up going. They're only taking three women and three men this Olympics. So mm. a lot narrower, a lot, lot narrower barrier of entry. But um, yeah, I feel good about where our athletes are at and the places they're at. We're ju- we don't even start qualifying until December of this year. Okay, got it. So we're still, we're still training right now. Well, it is very hard for an athlete that went to the Olympics because they lost a year of kind of rest time. Oh, um, good. Yeah. So if they true. were going to compete in 2020, they would have gotten 2021 to really rest and do some fun stuff and all of that. I think that played a lot to Harrison's decision. Um, but so like they're having to get started back up soon, a year sooner than um, mm. anybody would have planned for them. And so that's obviously a challenge when you're competing against people who, you know, really had all that time to prep and didn't have to do the Olympics. So Unique challenge, but um, after COVID years, I feel like they're probably up for any sort of flexibility. Let's just do it. Yeah. 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 Man, well, sure. I, I, I've got one more question for you that I typically kind of round out on. I, I mean, we, I think we could talk for a lot longer, but I want to be respectful of, uh, of your time and the audience here. But you, you've seen, from what I can tell, uh, a massive shift in your, your career trajectory over these last few years. And you were yeah. one of not a lot, I should say, that were ready and took COVID on as an opportunity instead of just shuttering the doors. Because we've seen the only, I mean, we had a huge influx in the Coach Now world. I mean, we grew faster than we ever had during those initial months. Uh, But I can't tell you how many coaches just completely just fell off because they weren't prepared. They had no technology. They had, whether it's Coach Now or anything, they were all lessons. Hey, come and I'll teach you in person. And that was it. So they had no foundational right. setup to make sure that they were mitigating their risk. Right. So I, I kind of say this to say that if you're looking at a new coach coming into your industry or generally any industry that, you, that you're interested in, what kind of advice would you give them having been through mm-hmm. everything that you've been through over these last few years? Is there anything that kind of really stands out to you that, that they should be paying attention to? Yeah, there's, I, I would say just immediately, there's three things. When I, when I took my very first job right out of high school, first desk job, had a you know, salary, all of that, um, one of my best friends came into my office, sat down a, a, a dog chew toy that looks like Gumby. He sat it down on my desk, and I was like, John, why, why that? And he said, just, just simper Gumby. And I was like, what does that mean? He said, always be flexible. Uh, um, and so that thing still sits on my desk wow, to this okay. day to remind me to be flexible. And that was paid off big time through COVID. Um, the second thing I'd say is differentiate what you're good at, right? Be able to be able to offer more than one thing. So like I said, with the high school coach, like you could be really good at strength and conditioning, but also be able to be proficient and good at, um, at an, another sport, for instance, mm-hmm. to be able to get you in the door. Now you may narrow that field. Right. When we, when we started power and grace, I was coaching a lot of different things yep. and then we narrowed to weightlifting, be able to find, be able to be, be proficient and wear a couple hats. Um, that'll get you, but you took it then, even, you took it even more narrow, right? You went from oh, yeah. many things to weightlifting to now competitive weightlifting. Right. right. So, I mean, I, yeah. I started as a funnel and then when I saw what the market was and then I saw what we were good at and then I saw what we yes. saw results at, then I funneled down. Yep. Um, there were, and in many ways, and this, this is my third point, when you give up things, that you're good at to do what you're great at as a, as a coach or as a business person, don't see that as a failure. Yeah. Um, it was hard for me. It was really hard for me to not see those other things, whether it was fitness training or running a gym or just coaching, just coaching soccer players, um, to not see myself as a failure because I didn't achieve the results I wanted to see in that field. or I wasn't coaching those people anymore to not see myself as a failure. I wasn't failing. I was hyper-focusing um, yeah. And so for me, it was a, it was a, it, just to be reminded like, Hey Spencer, you're, you're not like, you're not failing here. You're, you're doing what you're really good at and you're able to provide an opportunity for you to do it better. Um, so those are the three things I would say is make yeah. yourself marketable, you know, be flexible and then don't see things you give up to do other things that you do better as failures. Yeah. That refinement I think is so important. And for a lot of people, super, super scary. 
Yeah. Right. Because uh, strength and conditioning, I think, could be somewhat as vague and even maybe even more vague <laughs> is. than golf. Right. I coach golf. Right. So, OK, well, what? What does that mean? Yeah. Right. Or I coach tennis. OK. But strength and conditioning, I think, is so broad yeah. that you really got to narrow it down to something. And yeah, I would how, like how it. long did it take you to narrow it down to where you are today? Is it was it four years or is it? It was it was four. I mean, three or four years. Okay. Um, but it took it took doing a lot of things to see what we were particularly what I was particularly good at and what I had the most success in. I would mm-hmm. liken it to someone who's a golf coach realizing like they're actually really good at teaching someone to use the driver. Right. Um, exactly right. And then slowly over the so like over time, people come to them for this. This is my driver coach. Like he can do yep. it with the driver. And then you yep. just all of a sudden you're listening. You know, you don't you're not terrible as a as a irons coach. You are a generalist, really yeah, good. but you have your you're specialty. Really good at a driving yeah. at driving yeah. coaching. Same concept for us, right? We coached. We did a bunch of remote. We did a bunch of coaching for CrossFitters who were going to the CrossFit Games. Mm. A bunch of coaching for strength conditioning people who were playing Division One sports. And then we did weight competitive weightlifting, weightlifting and competitive weightlifting. And over the course of time, like. I started to see people progress towards being Olympians and weightlifting and not the other things weren't progressing. Yeah. And that's when I saw like, clearly this is our niche. I don't hate doing it. I love it. This is my niche. Like we're going to do that. And that's when I said, now it's easy to tell people when they reach out, like, Oh, I'm just interested in learning about the snatch. We are interested in you learning about the snatch too. Just not with us. Right. Mm. Um, if you're not trying to compete in the sport, there's a lot of great people out there that can teach you how to snatch. But if you're trying mm. to do it so that you can compete in it, we're your people. Um, and so, but it took like, it took like getting to the point where we were okay to, we were okay financially mm-hmm. and we were okay, um, to take that leap because of the reputation we were establishing. And, and so. the last part of this one for me, do you feel like where you are today? Cause you sound like the, the, the epitome of the coaches that we love to work with, where you're always refining, always learning. You have a growth mindset for you yeah. and your team, which is so great. Where, where do you think your marketing stands uh, with where your internal messaging is? And to clarify what I'm saying, to ask it a different way, it's, you know, you want competitive weightlifters. That's what you do. How do you feel like your marketing and your lead generation is doing and conveying that message? Do you yeah, feel like you, it's as accurate as you want? Yeah. If you Google power and you. performance, you'll see competitive weightlifters. That's what you'll see. Instagram, any of our social, our, our website, that's what you'll see. Um, that, that is not to my credit. I eventually hired somebody to hire both our operations people who know way more about marketing and brand creation and brand development than I do. Um, and then I just trusted them with the reins because like you said, they're good people. They do great yeah. work. I trusted them with it. And now they ask, we ha- we hired a, a, a media person, like a photographer, a video person cool. to like make sure that the content we put out is competition weightlifting. Love um, it. and our coaches, when they talk about it and it gets put on our branding, they're talking about competition weightlifting and caring about athletes in competition, right? We're not saying podiums, podium, podiums. We're caring about people over podiums, but it's people in competition that we're, yes. that we're, we're after for sure. You nailed it. I mean, you guys are killing it. It's so great to talk to somebody like yourself that, that really has all of these things put together and is, it's just going to be a matter of time for you just to keep, keep growing. Remembering it feels like it happened overnight it's important for me to remember that like that over quote unquote overnight success feel took 10 years of building. Yeah. Um, and so like it, we weren't an overnight success. We just, it just saw success after 10 years of work. Yeah. Um, and so remembering that so that, that knowing that growth that happens over the course of 25 years is good growth. Right. And so yeah. some of it's just like being patient that we have these financial and these like other goals we want to achieve. Just being patient and realizing that like a 3% growth every year for 30 years is really, really good. <laughs> You know, I, I so. cannot emphasize that enough. And the and the, the the bummer that I always run into is that we're in the software world. Yeah, people only like hockey sticks that go almost backwards because yes. you're growing yes. so fast the hockey stick falls over. No. And for me, my parents are are restaurant owners, and it's like, man, you give me a restaurant that's growing yeah. twenty to thirty percent year over year, which is not even possible because you don't have no. enough space, and you just have right. to open more restaurants. But you give me a business that's growing at that rate sign me up forever. Right. 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 So I think exactly. you absolutely have the right mindset. When I look at somebody like Patagonia, where it's like, we just 1% a year. Yeah. We're a hundred year businessman. If don't, you look at the, it. if you look at the companies that have that like hockey stick backwards motion I, I, and they're still creating success, like they didn't go up and die immediately. 
if you look at those companies, look at their look at their financial revenue right for the 10 years before you saw that spike. Mm-hmm. What you'll probably see is consistency and then they figured something out and then they saw the growth. Yeah. We 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 that, so it's important to not see just the like you know, if you cut the graph off and only see this like oh they're know, incredible. Right? Everybody we yeah, want right. to be just like that in a year. Like you forget that there is a there's an executive in there somewhere that spent 10 or 15 years trying to figure it out. Yep. Um, and so one to two percent growth may cause a spike later. I think we're living in that spike right now. But if it plateaus out and we're still at two to three percent every single year for the rest of our lives, like that's fantastic. I mean, you're building a responsible, sustainable business, and you're helping a lot of people out. Yep. That's that's the dream. That's absolutely yep. the dream. Well, Spencer, you've been full of nuggets, man. So uh, I, this is going to be fun to to go through and, and chop them out and then release awesome. the whole episode. So thanks so much for taking the time. Really cool to talk to you. Absolutely appreciate it. Yeah. And thanks for being such a, a great ambassador of what we do. And let's let's figure out more ways to, uh, to help you guys out and work together. Yeah. Love you guys. I mean, there's so much of what I just said is a result of you guys creating a product that we have found so much value in. Thank you for saying that, man. Well, yeah. uh, congrats to you guys. And uh, we'll see you next time. Yeah, man. All right. Thanks, Spencer. Yeah. Hey everybody, Spencer here. Thanks again for listening. If you've liked what you've heard, I just have a few favors to ask of you. One, please subscribe and hit the notification bell so you make sure you don't miss any episodes. Two, please review and share the episode with your colleagues, your peers, your friends, because it's our mission to help coaches and trainers like yourself be as successful as possible with your businesses, increasing your income, saving time, and coaching how and from where you want. And I I think this podcast is a big part of that. And then third, if you want more free content, you can go check out coachnow.io backslash education, and that will lead you to all of the free educational resources that we have. Hope you have a great day. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.